0: Good evening. This is your host, Mr. Dark, bringing you a series of some of the most terrifying, strange, and true short horror stories of crimes, murders, abductions, and experiences. You're listening to the Dark Side Diaries podcast. murder of toddler James Bolger. His name was James Bolger and was a month short of his third birthday in February 1993. James's mother, 25-year-old Denise Bolger, would take him shopping for the day at Bottle Strand Shopping Center in Merseyside, England. The shopping trip was pretty standard for James and his mom, with their final stop being at the butcher's shop. James was at his end with the shopping for the day, squirming and fussing in Denise's arms. With no line at the shop, Denise figured it wouldn't take very long. With the butcher making an order mistake and Denise needing to pay, she let go of James's hand for a minute. When she went to leave with James, he was gone. Scared and flustered, Denise cried, I was only in the shop for a few seconds. I turned around and he'd gone. Ten-year-old John Vanables would leave his home for school that same February morning, but down the road John ran into his friend, ten-year-old Robert Thompson, where they decided to ditch their school bags, cut school, and head to the Bottle Strand shopping center as well. Once inside the mall, John and Robert began to steal from different stores, pocketing batteries, enamel paint, pens and pencils, to a troll doll which one of the boys collected. With the stolen goods they played on the escalator and tossed much of it down the moving steps. They would discard a lot of what they took, strictly feeling stealing was a fun part for them. Unfortunately, the troubled youths would escalate their behavior with what they stole. With the two boys discussing with each other and stating, let's get a kid. Whether the boys wanted to up the challenge to desperately impress each other, it is unknown. But the boys stayed committed to stealing a kid. Inside one of the department stores, a woman noticed the two boys were trying to get their three-year-old daughter and two-year-old son's attention. Within a moment later, they were missing. Able to find her daughter, the mother asked in panic where her brother was. Gone outside with the boys, the daughter said. The mother racing outside yelled her son's name, spotting John and Robert, motioning to her son to come along. She was able to stop them. John would tell the boy, Go back to your mom. And the two boys quickly disappeared. Pure luck had saved this family, but what was coming for the next victim of John and Robert would be disturbing. With a failed abduction, John and Robert were hoping to pocket some candy around a snack kiosk when they noticed James Bulger standing alone by the door of the butcher shop. With Denise momentarily distracted, they lured James to come with them, and John took him by the hand, saying, Come on, baby. Several shoppers would notice the trio as they walked through the mall. Sometimes James ran ahead, leaving John and Robert where they would call him back saying, come on baby. Surveillance cameras would catch them leaving the mall at 3.42 p.m. Denise in a panic quickly found mall security and described James, announcing James's name over the mall's loudspeaker. By 4.15 p.m. that day, James was reported missing to the local police station. With John, Robert, and James out of the mall, the two boys ignored James crying for his mom and continued down to a secluded area near a canal. Near the canal, they dropped Boulder on his head and left him on the ground crying. James with his forehead bruised and cut got up and still followed the boys. John and Robert would pull the hood of James' jacket over his head to try and hide the injury. As they passed many onlookers walking, no one stopped them during any of this. There would be two times that people noticed strange behavior from the boys and would talk to them, but neither would step in and help James, as they stated the three boys looked like family. Escaping safety, the boys continued on and would walk 2.5 miles to the rail yard. John and Robert hesitated initially, but followed through with the brutal torture and murder of James Bulger that would last sometime between 5.45 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. John and Robert flung paint on James's face into his left eye. They threw stones at James, kicked him, and beat him with bricks. They stuffed batteries into his mouth, pulled off his shoes and pants, perhaps sexually assaulting him. The boys hit James over the head with a 22-pound iron bar, which resulted in 10 skull fractures. James sustained 42 injuries to his face, head, and body. He was so badly battered, Authorities later concluded that there was no way to tell which injury represented the fatal blow. When they thought James was dead, they laid his body on the railroad track to make it look like an accident. A train eventually came along and severed James's body in two. With James's disappearance making the evening news, calls poured in immediately. With police searching the areas around town, the canal, and divers searching underwater, there was no body of James found. It would be that Sunday afternoon four boys went up to the railroad to look for footballs and find James' body on the track. With CCTV from the mall, police checked nearby school's absentee lists looking for two boys that matched the surveillance footage. An anonymous phone call to the police would come in about the blue paint found on two students' clothing. The forensic test would confirm that John and Robert had the same blue paint on their clothing as found on James' body. Both John and Robert were convicted of the James Bulger murder, making them the youngest to be convicted of that crime in Britain in 250 years. They were sentenced to serve at Her Majesty's pleasure, which is standard protocol for juvenile offenders convicted of murder or manslaughter. This indefinite sentence has no maximum, but does have a minimum to be determined on a case-by-case basis. In this case, it was just eight years, at which the boys would be 18. When the eight years were up in 2001, both John and Robert were released. Muswell Hill Murderer Dennis Nielsen The story of the horrors the so-called Muswell Hill Murderer Dennis Nielsen unleashed in London 40 years ago had given him the nickname the British Jeffrey Dahmer. Nielsen was born in Fraserburgh, Scotland on November 23, 1945. He was the middle child of three to his Scottish mother and Norwegian father. Nielsen, according to his mother, was a quiet boy but still adventurous. In his youth, he'd grow up with a rocky marriage between his parents, which would end with his father walking out on the family when he was just four years old. This would see Nielsen grow a strong bond with his maternal grandfather. Often at sea as a fisherman, it would leave Nielsen saying, life would be empty for me until he returned. Two years after his father left, Nielsen's grandfather would die while at sea by a heart attack. With his grandfather's body returned to shore, Nielsen would attend his funeral, and his strict Catholic mother insisted that he view the body before burial. He would later say that this experience gave him a fascination with corpses. As Nielsen began to go through puberty, he discovered he had homosexual tendencies, which, according to reports, he struggled to accept, and some of his family would belittle him about it. At the age of 15, Nielsen joined the army. He would take a course in butchery which he would use to his advantage during his killing spree later in life. He would leave the army in 1972, and from the mid-1970s Nielsen worked as a civil servant in several job centers. From 1975 to 1978, Nielsen was involved in a series of failed homosexual relationships with men, though none of them expressed any intention of living with Nielsen on a permanent basis. In the loneliness and solitude from 1978 to 1983, Nielsen spent his evenings consuming alcohol in local pubs where he would meet his victims. Nielsen would befriend these men, who were often homeless or young students, and offer them food or a bed for the evening back at his North London flat. Nielsen's first murder took place on December 30th, 1978, killing 14-year-old Stephen Holmes. Nielsen claimed they met in a gay bar Nielsen would bring him back to his place where he would strangle him with a necktie until he was unconscious and then drown him in a bucket of water. Between the first and second murders, Nielsen attempted to murder a student from Hong Kong he had met in the West End. Although questioned by the police, the student decided not to prosecute, and Nielsen was released without charge. Nielsen's second victim in December 1979 was Canadian student Kenneth Ogundong. During their sexual intercourse, Nielsen strangled him, and later he was reported as a missing person. Third victim, Martin Duffy, was 16 and homeless. In May 1980, Nielsen strangled and subsequently drowned him in a kitchen sink. As his killing spree continued, Nielsen wouldn't remember much details about some of the victims, leaving their identities as unknown. Victims 9 and 10 were both young Scottish men Nielsen picked up in pubs in Sotho. Sometime between murders 6 and 11 in November 1980, a potential victim of Nielsen's woke up while being strangled and was able to call the police. However, no action was taken by the officers who considered the incident to be a domestic disagreement between two homosexual lovers. With at least 15 victims, the most disturbing part of the murders was how Nielsen disposed of the bodies. In 1981, Nielsen found it difficult to dispose of the remains. He had suitcases full of human organs stored in his wardrobe, and plastic bags with human remains under the floorboards. His neighbors had begun to notice the smell, which led Nielsen to dispose of the bodies by flushing them down the toilet. With the sewage of his house blocked, a company was called to unblock the sewer system. The drain inspector found the drain was packed with a flesh-like substance, and he contacted his supervisor to assess the situation. This would not take place until the next day, which would allow the drain to clear. With the drain inspector and his supervisor concerned, they contacted the police and they were able to find some small bones and flesh in a pipe leading off from the drain. These were later discovered to be of human origin. Nielsen was arrested in 1983 on suspicion of multiple murders. He would apologize to the police for not being able to tell them the exact number of people he had killed. When police searched the house, they found three heads in a cupboard, and 13 more bodies were found in his former place of residence. Nielsen would be convicted at the Old Bailey, with six counts of murder and two attempted murder. Nielsen was sentenced to life imprisonment on November 4th, 1983, with a recommendation that he serve a minimum of 25 years. This recommendation was later changed to a whole life tariff. In a disturbing interview from 1993, Nielsen would tell the interviewer, how he enjoyed caring for the bodies, dressing them and undressing them, and recounted in horrific detail how they were then cut up. He would say, the bodies are all gone, there is nothing left, but I still feel a spiritual communion with these people. This concludes our episode of the Dark Side Diaries. Please remember to follow, like, share, and subscribe for future episodes.